the most important thing is this, this, this ability to be perseverant, to continually go for what you want and not get slowed down. And as you do that, you start to look at your past and go, yeah, I, I can do X, Y, Z. What's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Krashovsky, and welcome to episode 87 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Now, today on the podcast, I am joined by Rock Thomas, and if that name sounds familiar, it's probably because you've likely seen Rock's video on Goalcast, which has close to 7 million views. Rock grew up on a small farm in Canada and then went on to become a multi-millionaire by building a successful real estate business. And after that, he shifted his focus on personal development, becoming a world-recognized coach, having studied with some of the world's top personal development leaders like Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, and Stephen Covey. Rock is also the host of the top-rated I Am Movement podcast and a best-selling author. And in this interview, Rock and I discussed a plethora of topics from how to develop a mindset that allows you to build a seven-figure business to how the economy is currently shifting due to COVID and the rise of remote work and specific investment advice according to that shift that you can take and run with, plus much, much more. Seriously, this interview was loaded with so many golden nuggets. Uh, I really think you guys are going to dig it. But before we jump into the episode, I do have to ask you a favor. Please head over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite equivalent and leave this podcast an honest review. If you are enjoying this podcast, it is the number one way to support us. Reviews are still a key statistic that Apple looks at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So I want to take a second and thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. If you want to check out the full show notes and list of resources mentioned on this episode, you can do so over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 87. That's episode all spelled out followed by the number 87. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this wide ranging conversation with Rock Thomas. All right, well, Rock, welcome to the show, man. I'm uh, super excited to talk to you and thanks for taking the time to be here. You know, it's such a cool show for you, and especially with COVID, what's happening, to have this concept that I embrace totally and have for eight years now. Um, it's nice to, to meet you this way because I've been encouraging people to live this way ever since I read the four-hour work week back eight years ago. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Retirement is yeah. bogus. <laughs> and so giddy up, let's go. So I'm excited to talk to you as well. Yeah, it's so insane when that book came out. It was like just everyone like you would be i mean i guess you wouldn't be surprised how many people come on this show and say that that book is what kind of made them realize what was possible and, and kind of made them do that what do you think it was about the book that kind of made people feel like they could do it because i think we read a lot of books 
and very few people ever take action on those books. But I feel like the four hour work week has forced a lot of people into action. Do you, you know, having read the book, what do you think it was about it that allowed people to do that? I think it's a couple of things. Change doesn't happen from people being beige. You need radical mm-hmm. people like an Elon Musk or somebody like that. That's going to, you know, it's quasi bipolar force, radical new thoughts. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, Tim Ferriss is a guy who's willing to lose weight to win or gain weight overnight to win mess wrestling matches in three months. I think it was in Argentina, winning the Argentina tango. And, and I was, I thought to myself, now that's cool. That's not boring, right? That's not, Hey, you know what? Go get a good education, get a good job, sit in a cubicle 10 by 10 for the rest of your freaking life and you're free no you're not free your prison cell is just a little nicer than the guy who committed a crime that's all mm-hmm. so i think that radicalness and the second piece to think i think to that is that i've been doing personal development for 30 years and i ask people as a coach what do you want and most people will tell you a, a, a litany of things that I call means to an end. They'll tell you they want a car, a career, a job, a business, a relationship, a better body, all those things. But what they really want at the end of it, when you boil it all down, is freedom. Mm. That's what people want. They want to be able to get up and it's beautiful and sunny, go play golf or go to the pool or do a yoga class. They don't want to have to drive to work. So I think that book gave people an insight to an innovative way to live. And COVID now has just poured gasoline on that fire. Yeah, you know, I, I like what you said about, you know, people need kind of like to be forced in, in these sort of things. And I and I had the same comment when COVID happened, you know, having been in the remote work industry, being around digital nomads for as long as I have, not that it's been that long, but, you know, I kind of have been like living and breathing it and being fully immersed into it for several years now. And for me, it was always like, there is no way that this doesn't become commonplace, that this doesn't become something that companies adopt because there's just so many benefits to it. What had to happen was it's almost like companies were really comfortable with the current situation and they didn't feel forced to kind of move into remote. And now that they have, it's almost like for me, it's like, oh, well, it's over. You know I mean? Like there's going to be very few companies that are going to be like, no, we don't want all the benefits that come from remote work, you know? Yeah, I think the human spirit is afraid of the unknown. I bought my mother a, a cell phone. My mom's 84 years old now. I bought her a cell phone about six years, seven years ago. And I said, mom, you know, for your own safety. And she goes, no, I won't use it. I won't use it. And <laughs> I like, mom, I got a plan. And this went on for about five years, I bought her a total of four cell phones every time canceling it. And then the phone was old and I bought another one or I'd get a new one, I'd give her my old one, whatever. And when COVID happened, my mother decided that because when the outside world forces change and thrusts it upon human nature, we have the capacity to adapt. And now she's a raving fan with FaceTime and Zoom and she's on all these things and she's like- <laughs> She's a techie now. She's a techie. She's like, my, my, you know, I'm on a call or something and the thing pops up, she's dialing in and then she's like, why didn't you answer? I go, mom, just because you can reach me doesn't mean I'm not doing something, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So circumstances will generate transformation. 
And what's, what's, I don't want to say sad, but what is interesting is that if you and I can get together in the form of a mastermind group, and that's why I started one, and we can talk about what is important to you and I, and we can encourage and challenge each other to step into that, we can create our own growth and transformation at an accelerated rate based on our imagination. Mm. Most people, how do they use their imagination? They just dream about things, I think. Yeah, they dream about things that they don't want to have happen. It's called worry. Mm, okay. Most people don't use their imagination very well. They're not Walt Disney. He used it very well. But most people are like, oh my God, oh, what if what if there's a bubble? What if COVID comes a second wave? What if, uh, what if uh, my, my relationship falls apart? They're constantly worrying instead of loving everything about life. I do this process in some of the, the, the teachings, masterclasses I do, and I go, List the 10 things that starts like this. Thank God for coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Because we need to develop, in my opinion, this, this ability. If, we, if you want to bliss out, if you want to live a great life, if you want to live a life where you're happy, in spite of what's happening, you need to exercise that muscle of appreciating everything that's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, like, I'm trying to think about about that point, because I think one of the reasons why I don't necessarily worry so much about things that are happening that might be outside of my control or anything like that is that I've always had this mentality of like, whatever happens, I'll figure it out. Like, nice. you know, and I've, and I've had like a few experiences where like things gone to shit and I've been able to like work myself out of that. And so I almost am like, you know, I'll figure it out. Like whatever it is, I've had tough times before I figured it out. I'll figure it out again this time. Um, and so, you know, I feel comfortable with that, but perhaps like, what do you think people need to do in order to get more into that mindset or, you know, how come people don't, how come more people don't have that mindset, I guess. Well, I would ask you, what was your childhood? Like, was it full of certainty Were you coddled or did you have a lot of uncertainty? Well, uh, as an immigrant coming from an ex-Soviet country and, you know, my, you know, I remember our first furniture was uh, things we picked up on the side of the street, you know, so uh, there wasn't a lot of <laughs> comfort in my childhood. It was a great childhood and it was a very happy childhood and I had an amazing, you know, amazing parents and people who loved me, but there was definitely, you know, like it wasn't, uh, I didn't live in a nice white picket fence kind of place uh, for right. a, a big majority of my childhood. So we're, we're products of our environment. And if you grow up in the white picket fence and mom drops you off at the front door of school and pulls out the umbrella when it's raining and things to do at the front door, mm -hmm. your level of conditioned uncertainty will probably be vastly different from the other person. So mm -hmm. I grew up on a farm, youngest of seven kids. Uh, I fought for food. I fought for attention. Um, I, I fought to survive, to not be bullied. Um, my brother would lock me in the barn so he could get the shower first and, and steal all the hot water. It, I learned how to compete at eight and a half years old to get basic human needs, at least in Western society. So mm. I wrote a book called the Your Epic Life Blueprint. And, and in there, there's 10 rules of success. And the 10th rule is you've referenced it already is say yes and figure it out later. Mm. I have this belief that I will always figure it out because I have thousands of references of being locked in the barn, 
climbing up into the attic and then jumping out of a window onto the roof, sliding down and getting out. I was forced to become creative or I was given many opportunities to become creative, however you want to look at it. And then my brain started to develop files, probably a lot like you. We can live on a couch. We can take stuff off the street. We can still survive. And so then not having a warm shower for one day for you, you're like, I'm okay with that. I can, I can wash off. I, I can have a shower if I forget my towel when I go to the gym and I'll drip dry. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I go, oh shoot, I forgot my towel. I guess I can't have it. No, I'll have a shower. And then I'll take paper towel. Like, you know what I mean? My brain is always going, there's a way. There's a way. I know there's a way. You can't fucking stop me. There is a way. And I think your upbringing, my upbringing gave us that. A lot of people are like, oh, I'd like to be a digital nomad. But, uh, you know, what if? Um, I don't know. Uh, I might get mugged, robbed, stuck in a country. Or what if I don't like the food? Right. So they let doubt and the unknown creep in. I mean, I have my levels of doubt. I had a guy who I met at Tony Robbins who did 387 skydives at the time when I met him. And he says he got bored of skydiving. It was too predictable. So he started too easy, (laughs) too easy, started throwing his parachute out before and he had to dive after it, get it in the air, put it on and then open the ripcord. Was it was it Tom Cruise in one of his movies? <laughs> all right. So um, there's levels of uncertainty for all of us. You know, for me, it's um, I'm not like the kind of guy who like remembers quotes or like cites quotes like, you know, off the cuff or anything like that. I've never been able to do that. But one quote that like stuck with me as a kid, um, my dad was a big fan of Ernest Hemingway. And so I grew up reading all the Hemingway greats. And Hemingway has this quote that has really stuck with me kind of related on this topic, which is, and it's really quick, but it's, it's just, and it's courage is grace under pressure. And mm-hmm. I always think about that in terms of like how I want to react. And when I'm in a position where like not freaking out and, and almost overcoming, you know, pressure with like grace and almost giving my, t- my, myself time to think about things how do you but i think that's difficult for a lot of people like a lot of people when something happens that's stressful they freak out and they lose control how do you you know make sure that when something happens that throws you you know stresses you out you know throws your curveball how do you slow down in order to make like the right decisions well you know it's a great question i think it depends on the scenario but questions are actually so powerful when you when you equip yourself with quality questions. So let's say you're mm. you're playing, I don't know, tennis and you hit the ball and you think it's in. And the other person says it's out and it's a winning point for the match or whatever. Um, you have a choice on how to respond to all those things. So I really believe life is 10 percent what happens to you and 90 percent how you respond. So mm. I have some of my favorite questions. What can I learn from this? What's great about this? Where is the gift? How can I use this in the future? How do I want to feel about this? And and as you do that, you start to have better responses than your conditioned fear self. So I believe there's a lower self and a higher self that we all have. Mm -hmm. And when you're under pressure, under stress, and you you can go into your lower self, and that is usually, manifests itself in, you know, anger, fear, worry, doubt, criticism, blame, 
Uh, and then the higher self, like you said, is grace under fire. It's, it's, it's being more elegant. It's understanding that everything happens for a reason and it's there to serve mm. me. And this moment too shall pass. And that there's 7 billion people on this planet whirling through the universe. And it's really not that freaking important. Right. You mentioned that you grew up on a farm. And I want to get your opinion on something that um, I had my friend Chris Reynolds on, uh, who also has an amazing, um, an amazing podcast called The Business Method. And uh, he, like you, grew up on a farm and is now a location-dependent entrepreneur. And I thought that was this crazy jump. And I asked him, I was like, you know, that's a pretty intense kind of turn. How are, you know, how are those things connected? And the thing that he said is that actually as a farmer, one of the things that's really important is that you almost have this like goal to be self-sufficient, which he feels is very well connected to location dependence, which I hadn't noticed before. What do you think about that in terms of, uh, you know, entrepreneurship and location dependence? Well, for me, the farm made me resourceful. I mean, you, the, the horses need to be fed 365 days a year. They don't care if it's snowing, it's your birthday or Christmas. So maybe made me downright resourceful. You're sick. It's the David Goggins, right? If you read his book, it's about you find a way, even if you're not feeling good. And trust me, I have many references of probably feeding horses with the flu in minus 40 degrees because uh, my, my father was, was very, very intense German background, right? Um, so I think that makes me an entrepreneur's dream. I will always find a way. There's always a solution. So not everybody should be an entrepreneur. Not everybody should be a digital nomad. Some people should be the co-pilot in life. I have multiple companies and I have a lot of, you know, number twos, if you will. And mm -hmm. they're really well suited for that. But sometimes when things get a little too uncertain, they look to me and they go, okay, what do we do here? And I'm like, don't worry, I got it. We had a couple of lawsuits come in in one of my real estate companies the other day. And the individual running it was overwhelmed with uncertainty. And she's like, okay, I'm going to answer. I could, whoa, put the brakes on it, sweetie. Put the brakes on it. Daddy's got it. I'll take this one, right? Because you, you learn and grow over time to have that experience. So I don't know what the DNA of a digital nomad is. I know I've helped create a lot of them through my mastermind group, but I think that freedom has to be at top of the list and probably living a simple life, wouldn't you think? Like if you're a digital nomad, it's not like you need to have, you know, the four seasons all the time in your back pocket. Uh, you could wear the same t-shirt several times. Elon Musk just did his battery day, talked to the shareholders. And I'm like, so funny, here's a, gazillionaire wearing a t-shirt that costs three bucks. Um, right. So there's, there, I think it's just that desire for the simplistic life. And when you remove all that noise, I went through this phase, I don't know if other people did listening to this, where I accumulated a whole bunch of stuff, multiple houses, boats, motorcycles, retreat, you know, all that stuff. And then I realized, oh my God, it's like everything requires maintenance and, 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 and I have to check on it. And then there was a storm and the boat got smashed on the rocks. And then I'm just maintaining everything. I just, now I've simplified my life. So I think that's a bit the calling of the digital nomad. I don't even know if I answered your question. I feel like it was all over the place. <laughs> no, it was great. I, but I totally agree with you. And it's, and it's been an interesting experiment where, you know, I was telling you before we hit record that, uh, 
my fiance and I got an apartment when COVID happened just because we said, okay, for a year, we don't really know what's going on. Let's just sit tight um, and just kind of wait it out. And I mean, we're both kind of, I guess, minimalists. Like we live out of a backpack or two backpacks, you know, most of the time. But now we've got an apartment and we've acquired things. And I'm kind of noticing like there's all like there's more things now for me to worry about almost. There's like and I'm and I'm very much looking forward to the day when like we can be like, okay, let's just get the backpacks again. And, you know, it's just you you stop having these things to worry about and you can focus on like, you know, like for me, one of the nice things is like I don't need to own a lot of things. So maybe the things that I do own, I want to make sure that they're nice and that they bring me, you know, Marie Kondo, they bring me joy. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, I, I agree with you. And I think there's simplicity to that. And maybe sometimes people have to go through what I went through. But, you know, my my if you're if you're a digital nomad, I think there's a few things you can control. So can I mention a couple of things? Is that OK? Of course. Yeah. So here's here's I think what is a decent formula. Number one is you've got to have a source of revenue, whatever that is for you. You're going to choose that source of revenue. You need to be committed to it. It could be a job wherever you go, but it could also be an online service or a product or a blog or whatever it is. And then get really good at it. Like get really good at it because we're in a fast-paced, changing world. And if you're not good at it, you're going to get you know outcompeted somewhere else. So I think that's crucially important. The second thing is, and by the way, most people in North America don't do this. 97% of people are not financially free because they live beyond their means. Mm -hmm. They think that tomorrow is going to get better. They think that, you know, they can pay for things later. So, and live below your means and get good at it. Like be conscious about it. I had a friend of mine who wanted to save up money to buy a piece of real estate and he ate rice and beans three times a day for four months. Now I'm not saying you have to do that, but that's one strategy because most people spend a lot of money on takeout and food and they don't realize how quickly it goes. So step number one is be really intentional about the money you're going to make and be responsible around that because some people, oh, I quit my job. I didn't like my job. And they go three weeks without a job and they burn through their capital. So be really intentional about that. Number two, live below your means, be strategic. When I was 25, I moved to Quebec City, got a job as a flight attendant. I could have rented an apartment, but I moved into a room in a lady's house, shared kitchen, cost me $150 or $200 for the room instead of $600 a month for the apartment. And then I was able to save up money more quickly and buy my first piece of real estate. And then the third thing I'd say is if you really want to be a digital nomad, then you need to um, look at RIB, RIB, real estate, investments, or a business. So if you invest in real estate, which is a cash flowing asset, you can be making money while you're traveling around the world and you're receiving the rent from that. You can have somebody else property manage it. And there's many different classes of real estate. Classes have changed. Retail right now is under incredible pressure with COVID. Student housing used to be a great vehicle. I got completely out of that as COVID came up and I'm transitioning and I'm moving into industrial because that's where all of the fulfillment centers are going to be growing into with more travel. So it's not enough to be in an asset class. You need to have your ear to the ground with somebody who's who's living the asset class and then you can get quick ability to pivot. Somebody who's in retail right now and even many people that have their retirement funds in REITs and in 401ks, a lot of those investments are in the retail space. They own shopping malls. Those 401ks are going to be affected if you have your money in there in the coming two to three years. They're going to go down. So 
You want to be able to be nimble to a certain extent. You want to be in the right asset class and you want to be able to adjust. So real estate's one of them, investing in the stock market. There have been incredible opportunities since COVID. Incredible. Anything that has to do with staying home. Do you know what Zoom stock was at six months ago? I, uh, I don't know the specific numbers, but I have seen the graph. Yeah. <laughs> so it was at $100 and I got on when COVID happened on March 12th. And I had scheduled 12 Zoom calls for my community. And I said to them, look, I'm not telling you what to buy. I'm telling you, it is my guess that you probably should look at Zoom stock. It's at $500 today. That's 500% return during a pandemic recession headed our way. There are opportunities everywhere. So you got to be in that conversation, pay attention. Tesla's gone up five times. Anything, pools, patio furniture companies, et cetera, et cetera. Amazon, they've all gone up two, three, four times. And then the third thing is businesses are on sale now. If somebody was running a restaurant and they were 60 years old about to retire and their restaurant's been closed for five months, they may just say, you know what, I'm done. And you could pick that up maybe 10 cents, 30 cents on the dollar and you could reinvent yourself. So if you really want to be a good digital nomad, you find a great operator, in my opinion, that can run a business. You're the visionary. You help them fund it and you can have multiple businesses or investments or pieces of real estate. And you can that's why I go to to Europe for a month and I go to Asia for a month is because I have multiple streams of income and it doesn't matter where I am. You know, my my apartment building in Montreal does not care whether I'm in Thailand or sitting in a cubicle in Montreal. It's still going to spit off profit, right? Yeah, I'm curious because we're kind of jumping around. You clearly have this opportunistic mindset. Like you're always kind of looking on the bright side of things. Where's the opportunity here? What can I control? How can I, you know, uh, uh, use this to improve my situation? And one of the things that I had somebody say to me very early on when I was getting started that I thought was total bullshit at first. And now that I've kind of gone through a few different things, I'm like revisiting it and saying, okay, I think there's some truth to this is um, they said to me, in order for you to make six figures, you need to have the right mindset. And then in order to get to seven figures, it's about your operation. So what they were saying was kind of like all that's standing between most people and making six figures uh, a year is their mindset. They need to change that. And I, I, I was like, there's no way that's true. There must be like far more important things. But now that I look at it, I kind of see what they mean. But at the same time, I think mindset is one of those things that is extremely difficult to change. Like, how do you actually do that? So I'm wondering, A, what do you think about that statement? And, and B, how does somebody change their mindset in order to kind of level up in that way? Yeah, super question. So I wrote a book called The Power of Your Identity. The words that follow I am follow you. And I grew up being called pizza face because I had a lot of acne. And for 20 years, I walked around repeating that inner narrative to myself, feeling ugly. And when I realized that labels are just suggestions, you can reprogram yourself from whatever you want to whatever you want to be. Of course, evidence helps, right? If Michael Jordan misses every basket, he's not going to go, I'm the greatest in the world. So the evidence of scoring under pressure helps you do that. But mindset is an inside job. It's intangible. That's why most people suck at it. So put yourself into an environment where other people have empowering mindsets and by osmosis, you'll pick up on it. 
But here's the thing. The words that follow, I am, follow you. You have an identity that you want to stay with. People suggest that you are shy or that you're cute or that you're smart or that you're tall or that you're sexy or that you're stupid. And then you go and look for evidence and then you, re- you basically accumulate that and you start to, after a while, go, that's who I am. So what I did is I went through this process of saying, who do I ultimately want to be? Mm-hmm. And then you language it out and you repeat it to yourself. So some of mine are, I'm gifted, I'm guided, and I'm grateful. I am powerful, passionate, and playful. So you can put any words behind that. The more you repeat them, you're more you're going to believe them, and the more you're going to live through them. So a comedian probably says something like, you know what? I'm pretty funny, and I look for the funny in everything. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, they become funny. If you look at the tipping point, I think by Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about the famous 10,000 hours. We've all heard that by now, probably. 10,000 hours of doing anything. What he proved was that that chess player, violinist, or hockey player wasn't necessarily the best. What they did is they did what Aristotle said is, do you become what you repeatedly do. Mm-hmm. If you shoot the soccer ball forever, right? And, and some of the greatest soccer players say, One guy, I think it was Ronaldo, said he went to sleep with the soccer ball. And in the night, in the dark, he would throw it up in the air and he would listen to the sound of it. He would anticipate where the the seams would land in his hand. Thousands and millions of references to become great. So anybody can shift anything if they're willing to put in the effort, in my opinion. I'm a, I'm a farm boy. I grew up a farm boy, youngest of seven. We had no, we were never wealthy. We barely kind of had any, never went on vacations, hardly. Uh, we went out to the restaurant once a month to the Dairy Queen, had a hamburger and an ice cream cone. That was it. Never had people come over and visit the property. Didn't know what socializing was. Completely socially awkward. My na- nickname was Bone Dog Pizza Face. Stupid. I mean, I grew up with all the possibilities of being the most, the least likely to succeed on, on the planet based on my environment. But somehow I started to get hold of these personal development books. It says things like, do what you fear and it'll disappear. You can be whatever you want. And so I started to construct an identity of possibility. And maybe the most important thing is this, this, this ability to be perseverant, to continually go for what you want and not get slowed down. And as you do that, you start to look at your past and go, yeah, I, I can do X, Y, Z. So form the script or story of a player in a movie that you wish to fulfill and then language it and repeat it to yourself. I'm really good at investments. Every day I make better and better choices. I love being a digital nomad and traveling all over the world while attracting great opportunities to myself. I'm kind and generous to everybody that I meet, including the waiter that I may never see again. We have to start to help ourselves become the person we want to be because we live in a negative world. So anything's possible. And to answer your question around the mindset is some people are five-figure earners. Some people are six-figure earners. Some people are seven-figure earners and so on. We all have an unconscious money blueprint based on what we saw. My father made good money, managed it poorly. My mother never made more than $20,000 a year, and she was frugal and always bought things secondhand. 
So for me, money was never easy. It was complicated. You had to try to keep it. And then I saw my father in fancy suits and fancy cars while we could barely put food on the table. It was very confusing for me. So over time, I did the work and there's four money personality types. We could get into that. And then there's emotion around money. But if you want to become financially free, you've got to raise your money and success blueprint. And that comes from education. You've got to start mm. to get aware. You, you, you can't be really good at hitting a tennis ball by stepping on the court and hitting it once. You get the lesson, you work on it. You're not going to be really great with money because people aren't taught to be great with money. They're taught to get an education and get a job. When you were, I don't know what, what how old you were when you came in the country, but if you wanted some money, I don't think your parents said, hey, why don't you go and uh, invest some money in the stock market or uh, maybe get a piece of real estate when you were 12 years old. They mm -hmm. probably said, do some chores around the house. We'll pay you some money if we have it or go get a job. Right? Yeah. You know, I think it, and that's one of the interesting things. One of the big benefits that has come with the internet is that uh, there was a time before the internet when a lot of these like money related rules were, you know, like, I think there's a famous thing where they say that, you know, families that don't have money, it's impolite to talk about money. While families that do have money, they t talk a lot, but they talk about money a lot, you know, and so this education kind of gets passed on. And I think with the internet sort of shining a light on all of these secrets or conversations that you should be having around money has really helped people that are curious and are interested in learning to learn and to break out of their, you know, current situation. Yeah. I mean, most people are not financially literate. They're not taught in school how to manage, save, budget, invest, uh, what a uh, cash flowing asset is. So they get a job, literally, they get a, try to get a, some sort of, some form of education, get a job. And by the way, most people choose their career out of two, two things, proximity, or pressure. Their neighbor down the road is looking for somebody to help out at the office. They get a job, you know, doing some paperwork. Then mm -hmm. you know, somebody gets sick, they get a promotion. And now all of a sudden they're doing data entry. And then before they know it, they got a little managerial position and then they've got an apartment and a car. And then before they know it, they're stuck. They do a, little, right. a couple of night classes on the side and then, okay, now they're, you know, a manager of a division of Amazon. Woohoo! It's not the dream. Or pressure is the parents say, you know, you should be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, what have you. They invest into five years, 10 years of education. Then they go and become a lawyer or, or an engineer or whatever. They don't necessarily like it. But when you invested 10 years in your life and your parents want you to do that and your parents are like, oh, look, my son's an engineer. He works at, uh, you know, Google or whatever. It's hard mm -hmm. to let that go because you're what? Your identity the strongest force in human nature is this desire to remain consistent with our identity is now all invested in it. That's why so many people never get rich because they work during the week and then on the weekend they're like, okay, huh, I'm going to go for a nice dinner, a bottle of wine. I'm going to do some stuff on the weekend. They spend all the money they made during the week. And they were never taught pay yourself first. They were never taught live below your means. So now all of a sudden they're trapped. And this has become my mission is to help people get out of the rat race by educating them on cash flowing assets that are available if you're willing to be taught. Mm. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about what you just said about identity that uh, concerns me or I think is going to be a problem 
in the next 10 or so years is um, I had a really interesting conversation with my dad where we were talking about how artificial intelligence and, and things are moving so quickly that by the time, you know, in, in 10, 20 years, you're going to have to switch careers like very often because maybe you learn to do something and you go and you have a 10 year career in, in some field and then that field goes away and you almost need to relearn again in a new field. And so, you know, what I fear is a, you know, like people won't have the skills to learn like that, to learn, to learn. And also what happens when you get your identity tied to something and then that something goes away? How do you react to it? What do you think about that? Like, what do you think is a good way for people to almost practice that muscle of learning to learn? God, that's a great question. I think it's one of the greatest skills you can have is to learn to learn. So asking great questions, being curious, not coming from, I know that already. A lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, there's Carolyn Dweck wrote a great book called Mindset. She talks about fixed mindset and open mindset or growth-based mindset. A lot of people are on this fixed mindset because they don't want to relearn. They want to be right. They want to do it the old way. They want to have certainty. And let's face it, we are right now in this epidemic, not a pandemic, an epidemic of radical change, where if you're not learning every day, just look at Facebook. Facebook now is part of me. I use use it selectively as annoyed because they keep on changing it. They change the algorithms. They change the way it looks. There's a new look coming out now. It's got more icons. This I'm like, Sometimes I go in there and I go to do a live and I'm like, where do I click for a live? They changed it. I can't, I got one minute left before my live. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Right? Yeah. Constantly learning. Uncertainty. I think our, our brains are being fried. So yeah, definitely it's going to be a problem going forward. The people that learn how to learn are going to be um, on the cutting edge. And you got to remain curious. And that's why for me, um, you go, I, I think having cash flowing assets is like your your safety net when you have five or ten or fifteen thousand dollars a month or twenty thousand or a hundred thousand coming in every month you could live very well off of twenty thousand a month wouldn't you say oh yeah yeah that'd be that's pretty nice you could do like a lot of things right i make six figures a month without having to work it leaves you a lot of options but twenty thousand is a good place to shoot for i think and then if the learning cycle becomes intolerable for you in an area, you can choose to let that part go. And you can then maybe narrow it down so you don't have to get so overwhelmed. So I think the real key going forward for people is you've got to get some cash flowing assets in your life. Otherwise, you're going, we are headed for some very, very interesting times. Yeah, I'm both very excited to see the future. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, I guess I look at it from a point of like, it's going to get tough for a lot of people, but I'm, you know, I think that with like my skills and stuff like that, I'll be able to not be in the group that it's really, really hard and maybe, you know, hopefully help them out. But you've talked a little bit about real estate and I know you have quite a bit of background in real estate and you've mentioned it here, um, you know, a few times. I'm curious what you think is going to happen with corporate real estate. Um, I don't know if you saw James Altucher had a um, a blog post that became, you know, kind of went around quite a bit called the um, why New York is dead or something like that. Um, and I think, you know, there's been a little bit of conversation of, you know, as companies go remote and their staffs go remote, 
what is going to happen to all of these office buildings? And a lot of people are really worried about that because like, how does that change the identity of cities and stuff like that? To me personally, I'm really excited because it's like, how much better can this space be used? Um, you know, what are all of the creative uses for that space that are going to come from this new kind of opening? What do you think about where is the future of kind of corporate real estate going? And then also how does, if we take the idea that more and more people are going to go remote, how does that affect just real estate in general? So, you know, real estate is always, always has and always will be what we call a local market. If you're in Detroit and the car industry gets affected, Detroit gets affected and Boston could be fine. So you got to understand that real estate, first of all, is a local industry. Right now, what's happening with the pandemic is people are moving typically out of the cities into the burbs because they want more spaces because they need to be apart. So cities are suffering. And for instance, where I live in Arizona, in the burbs, um, hot, hot, hot prices are going up. So that's what's happening on a residential level. On a commercial level, what's happening is the retail space is totally, for the first time in maybe 100 years, totally screwed and is going to change dramatically. It'll never be the same. A lot of them will never reopen, bankruptcies, etc. So now people have to look at what can we use the space for. And the first logical thing is that it's going to become fulfillment centers. So you and I are not going to go so much to even Walmart or Target or the grocery store anymore. We're going to order online. It's going to be delivered to us. So Walmart's gotten in that game. Target's pivoted, gotten in that game. And Amazon now is following suit by opening up industrial spaces in all the major cities so that they can do same day delivery. They don't need to have it as this core hub anymore where you get it in two, three days. They're going to do, so they're going to be looking for space. So a lot of that commercial space or even retail space like Neiman Marcus and all those things, some of those are going to be get turned over just into simple fulfillment centers, basically mm -hmm. warehouses. So how's that going to look? This gorgeous mall, right? In the middle of this nice town, Scottsdale, Arizona, where I am. And now it's a fulfillment center. So that's partially what's going to happen in that area. As far as office space is concerned, that's another problematic area because now people are seeing all the benefits of staying home. I don't have to fight traffic. I don't have to wear a suit. Everybody's now, you know, more comfortable with, you know, different backgrounds on Zoom. And, and sometimes a kid comes in during a business meeting and they're like, mommy, mommy. And they're like, sorry. Uh, and we're okay with that. I was on a call with my right. lawyer the other day to get my visa papers and her kid climbing on her back and she's like, baby, and, and, <laughs> and what am I going to do? Right. Right. So the office space is also under fire. What will happen? I don't know. I think, I think what will happen is the big office spaces will shrink and there will still be a desire for human connection because we all want that. And I'm, and I'm getting tired of doing Zoom calls for meetings. I want to go and meet people and high five them and shake their hand and have some social mm -hmm. interaction. So there will be a dip. There will be a recovery, but it will never be the same. And I think that for those people, by the way, that so I took all my money out of student housing and I'm putting it into industrial. Mm. And the student housing I did really well on. And I think the industrial I'm going to do really well on. But if you're not paying attention and you just have your own student housing and you're hoping to get lucky, you're probably gonna have a surprise. And that's why the transference of wealth happens so dramatically 
And the rich get richer because they make a point of keeping their nose and their eyes on the transfer of what's happening in the industry. Mm -hmm. The person who's a teacher or who's busy living their life and they have they own one four unit building that's used as student housing, they can't pivot enough because they're not in right. that conversation. And that's why the rich get richer and the poor stay poor. And the middle class is the middle class. So you got to get yourself into that VIP conversation. Elon Musk came out with an initial public offering 10 years ago at $17. The stock's around 2,500. I did the math and I think if you invested 10,000, it would be worth 40 million. I'll say that again. If you invested 10,000, it'd be worth 40 million. It's ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? But you know what? There's people that were pre-IPO. They got it for less than 17. But those people, you and I weren't in that conversation, were we? Because you had to have a hundred right. million dollars to be in that conversation in that room. So what I teach people is that if you want to get higher returns for your hard earned money, you have to work your way up the ladder into more and more interesting rooms. I now am in rooms with people that are worth a hundred million, a billion dollars. So this little farm boy managed to somehow get his foot in some of those rooms. And now I'm getting 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, hundred percent returns where 10 and 15 years ago, I was really happy with eight, eight 8%. So it's a process, but it, you need to be intentional. If you want to get that, you got to think, do I want to leave a legacy for my family? Or do I want to just, you know, be okay? And neither is good or bad. You just have to decide what's important to you. Yeah, I think that there's a there's something about, and you kind of uh, like, you know, mentioned it. It's like paying attention. And a lot of people don't necessarily have the time to pay attention because their time is being taken up by, you know, driving to work and being at work and then driving home and doing all these things. And you can't blame people for like, you know, like I don't have the time to pay attention. I don't have the time to, you know, like, like move forward. Um, but yeah. And, and it, it's difficult, right? Like I totally understand like a, a busy mom that, you know, can't, you know, focus on these things. But I also think another thing along these lines is looking at the big picture. Like something that I try to do is like when I make decisions, I try to look at them as like, uh, like for me, the whole remote work movement has been like a no brainer because I'm like, well, this is where the world is going. And if that's what I full heartedly believe, then what kind of decisions, decisions am I going to make based on that? Right. And so I think like the Tesla example, if somebody could have seen the big picture and understood the field enough to be able to say like, it's going to eventually happen, then this makes sense as a decision. It's easy to invest at 17, knowing that it's going to be, you know, huge. Yes. Um, However, let me comment on that because I had a guy come to me who was really, really smart. He had sold the company for 12 million and I met him at a Tony Robbins event and he says, Rock, mortgage everything you have, buy Tesla stock. And it was around at that time, it was already <laughs> up to $150. And um, I was like not thinking, I was more of a, of a, a, million, a seven figure mind than an eight figure mind. So mm -hmm. I didn't do it. I have gotten into it since and done quite well, but think about exponentially what it would have happened if I bought it at 150 versus say at a thousand, right? So I didn't have the mindset for it. So a lot of people are presented with opportunities, but they don't have the mindset for it. So you, you have to develop the mindset for it. There's gonna be a phenomenal amount of wealth made in the next six, 12, 18 months, but it's gonna be made mostly by the people 
that have made a decision that they're going to spend 20 minutes a day focusing on managing their money. So to answer your thing about, well, the mom, single mom or whoever, that doesn't have time. That's that to me is an excuse. Mm-hmm. Every person listening to this, if it's important for you to be financially free, you have a new part time job called managing your money, whether you like it or not. So you should I, I recommend start with 20 minutes a day. Where you look at your money or you look at possibilities or you read a magazine, you read an article, listen to a podcast, whatever, and you start to get educated, write these words down, R-I-B, either in real estate, investing or business. And then just get educated around it. And eventually, you know, the conversation will, the language will become part of you. It's right. not like real estate is not complicated. It's just a different language. If you don't speak Mandarin, it's not because you're stupid. You're just ignorant. Ignorance means you don't, you weren't exposed to the knowledge. If you're not exposed to real estate terminology and knowledge and how it works, you might be intimidated by, no, I don't know how to do that. I'm afraid of a leaky toilet, whatever. But once you start to bathe in it and hang out with people, then you can become comfortable with it. You can harness that vehicle. Same with the stock market, same with business. So new part-time job for you digital nomads, 20 minutes a day, manage your money. Well, it comes down to mindset. Like we've been talking about this whole time, right? It's not that I think when a lot of people have the right mindset, they know what to do. Like, it's not that hard to figure out what to do. It's just getting to the point, realizing that you need to do it. Do you know what I mean? And and making the time and making that a priority. It's not always that sexy though, by the way, managing your money is not always that sexy. I'm like, yeah, I got to do my budget. I got to think about this, make a decision on if I invest here or pull out there, or it's not always that sexy, but you know, once you get into it, it's it's fun to to have a bunch of it. That's right. Well, Rock, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I hope you have as well. Let people know where can they find out more about you? Where can they get involved uh, in some of the things that you're running right now? Yeah, so I have a podcast called Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Uh, so it goes in depth a lot about, you know, how you can become financially free. You can go to my website, rockthomas.com, and you can get a bunch of free information and articles and blogs, et cetera, et cetera. And I have a program called the 90 Day Challenge. So if people are looking for a way to enhance their mindset, I wrote a book called Your Epic Life Blueprint. And what I do is we take people through a coaching of the content of that book for 90 days and teach them the 10 habits that made me a millionaire. And that really will have you be rock solid going forward. One thing I learned from Tony Robbins is your state of mind. And I think going through this COVID thing is people need to be strong with their mindset. You need to work out. You need to stay healthy and vibrant. It's not a time to get sick. It's not a time to be weak. It's not a time to feel sorry for yourself. It's a time to get your ass in the gym, work out and be resourceful and get ready for the opportunities ahead. So you can come through this strong and stronger than most people. So, um, so the 90 day challenge is set up to do that. People want to, you know, look at that, check it out. It's a really, really great place to start your personal development journey. Yeah, we'll have uh, links to all of that in the show notes um, on the website. So Rock, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, it's a pleasure. Appreciate it, uh, Fico. 